0: are going to be in Joshua chapter 5 today, if you want to go ahead and get that opened up. Um, And for uh, those of you who are visiting, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Zach, People Magazine's most okayest looking person of 2022. So uh, pretty excited about that honor. Uh, Again, Joshua chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. And if you are visiting today or for whatever reason, I've just not had a chance to meet you yet. I'll be hanging uh, out in the back of the uh, uh, of the worship center here, please come by, say hello, give me a chance to meet you before you take off today. Um, I want to take a, a few moments here and, and thank the people who've been working so hard to help get the building looking nice. We've got, we got some fresh paint here. Uh, obviously, there's new carpet around the building. Um, there's been work done to the baptistry, the stage here. It's all very refreshing. And, and I think the timing of it, that we're coming into the new year with sort of this renewed focus on our mission and what we're doing here. It's all been a very satisfying thing to see and to experience. And it's a neat thing too, I think, that this is all going on while we're talking about, you know, blowing off the dust, getting back to work, seeing, you know, renewing our focus uh, on our mission here a little bit. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty positive about the changes that, that have been made here. Um, I will say, though, that the first day that construction happened the day that they they kind of you wouldn't know it necessarily from where you 're sitting, but the, the stage has been completely reconstructed and when, when that happened, that first day was a little difficult uh, to be in the office. It was pretty loud, there was a lot of dust in the air and there's that that smell of sawdust you know that you kind of associate with work being done and uh, well there was there was one particular afternoon or a particular moment that that first afternoon where I found myself having need of, for lack of a better church word, the facilities, right? And my, my office is over here, and, and so I had to cross then this room in order to get to the facilities. And I just kind of looked in at that point, and, and there was just kind of this hazy cloud of dust. And, and I could kind of make out a few figures that were that were doing some things, and it was, it was kind of neat to see. I, I knew what that meant was that work was being done, and, and it was exciting to see that we were moving in that direction which is going to take us to our sermon in a sentence today which is pretty simple we can trust jesus to take us in the right direction simple enough we can trust jesus to take us in the right direction Uh, go ahead and get that written down for those of you taking notes and um, let's uh, invite the holy spirit into our time together if you'll pray with me please Heavenly Father, our mission today, as we take a look at your word, is to look and see how, although sometimes we don't understand why or even how you direct us, we can nevertheless trust that the directions that you send us are right, and that part of the beauty of submitting to you and trusting you is found in the discovery of what you had in mind when we do follow. I pray that your spirit would enter this place, open our minds, open our hearts, open our eyes, Help us, Father, not just to hear from your word today, but I pray that it will convict us, challenge us, persuade us to trust you with our very lives and when it comes to following the directions that you send us. We pray all this in Jesus through faith. Amen. Have you ever spent much time thinking about clouds of dust? Various people do this at times. Clouds of dust can actually represent a number of different things depending on what the context is. That, that has created them is, uh, for example, a cloud of dust could mean the end of something. remember years ago, uh, years ago, I grew up in Indianapolis, and I remember part of the skyline of Indianapolis as you would come in was the Market Square Arena. Anybody ever been to Market Square Arena? For 25 years, home of the Indiana Pacers, uh, among other things, very popular concert venue. Elvis played his last concert at, at, at Market Square Arena. So when they said, Elvis has left the building, well, they said that for the last time in Indianapolis. I think that's something. But in any case, when the arena was brought down, its, its, its very purposeful death was planned with explosives in key places. And I remember they had like this live cam you could watch from the inside as it was going on. I guess it was live stream before live stream was cool. And when they brought it down, all of a sudden, I just remember kind of watching it, and then just suddenly all I could see was dust. And the picture on the front of the paper the next day was just the arena, just looked like it had just vanished in a cloud of dust. But a cloud of dust could also mean a a great victory. How many fans of the old Looney Tunes cartoons? Come on. You know the roadrunner, right? And he's running from the coyote. The coyote's got him in some trap. And as soon as that fails, the roadrunner takes off. And what does he leave behind? A cloud of dust, right? Or a cloud of dust could also mean a, a transition of sorts. It could be symbolic of something yet to come, as is the case for us Here at Central Christian Church, you know, the destruction of the old stage, the ripping up of the old carpet and some of the other things that have produced clouds of dust around here have been because we're making progress both in terms of a remodel and also, uh, as we hope, it's going to mean something significant for us moving forward in ministry. Uh, I think in the case uh, of Joshua, it's possible that all three things at once are being symbolized, uh, depending on your, your perspective your perspective of events. <clears throat> Before we jump into the scripture, let me review last week a little bit. If you'll recall, we didn't talk much about Joshua himself. Joshua's kind of been our, our, our guy coming into the new year, and we're covering the story of he and the Israelites taking the promised land here. And uh, last week, we didn't talk much about, Mo, uh, about Joshua. We talked instead about his predecessor, Moses. Now, it was my original plan to eventually get to Joshua, but by the time I had finished writing last week's sermon, What is normally an eight-page sermon that I deliver was closer to 14. I just couldn't do that to you guys. So I thought we're going to divide this up a little bit, and so I just want to review then a bit. Uh, Last week, we talked about the fact that we are called to mission, and yet sometimes when we're called to that mission, the battle that we've been called to fight can seem intimidating. And yet, despite feeling intimidated, we are indeed called. Uh, we, We may feel underqualified, But we must fight, even if it seems that God has picked the wrong person when he recruited you. Sometimes it can feel that way. We wonder, what is God thinking here? The truth of the matter is, he hasn't made a mistake. He's never made a mistake, and you're not going to be his first one. So when God calls us, he means it. So picking up from there, let's rejoin Joshua and see where the the Israelites are at in this story. This is Joshua chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 13. It when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or are you foe? Let's actually just take a quick break. Uh, we're going to come right back to this, so don't shut your Bibles or anything. But um, what we just read in that first sentence is enough to give us an idea of how Joshua must be feeling here. there, near Jericho. If you're not familiar with the story that we're about to read, Many of us are, if you've never heard this before, let's just say that Jericho is not the kind of place where you would want to spend your family vacation. It's It's a heavily guarded pagan city right on the river. It brings in a lot of riffraff. Some of the most vile people on earth come to Jericho, and yet it's stop number one in the Promised Land World Tour. So if we back up a little bit to Joshua chapter 3, we see that in order to even access Jericho, we first have to cross the Jordan River. Now here's the thing about the Jordan River. We've just come through the Red Sea, so we're not, we're not too worried about the Jordan River, right? Except that the text tells us that it's that time of year where the snow from Mount Hermon would be melting, and so all this water is going to be coming down the hill, making the river far more rapid and far more intimidating to cross than, than a still-sitting sea. Nevertheless, Joshua doesn't seem concerned uh, about crossing. And he selects 12 men to, to, to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. They accompany the priests. And the text tells us that when they dip their toes into the water, again, the water begins to back up, just like it did uh, in, in the sea. And, and they went to the center of the, uh, of the river, of the, of what is really the dry land at this point, And all Israel crosses with the ark there in the center. And when the priests and the ark move out of the river, all the water comes Right back in. So they've made it here, but as they're walking, this may have been kind of a bolstering of confidence for several of them, but Joshua would still see in the skyline of Canaan Jericho, and he would know. But that task, that real task, still lies ahead. So after crossing, Joshua had rallied his troops, and by this point, he'd sent a couple of spies in to kind of investigate the situation. The spies come back with the report that everybody in Jericho is shaking in their shells. They are afraid of the Israelites because they know that the Lord God is with them. And while I'm sure that this would have bolstered the confidence, again, of a few of them, what you have to consider is how thick the shells that they're shaking in really are. The Bible doesn't really tell us, but archaeologists believe that the outer walls of Jericho were 7 feet wide and 16 feet high. And on top of that, a second wall was built, this one 8 foot tall. There was a citadel guarding the north end of the wall. Uh, uh, there's a thick forest 8 miles long standing to the east of the city and steep hills on the west of the city. Jericho was like nothing that Joshua had ever faced before. And I have to wonder if it's like anything you've ever faced before. You see, we all of us have a Jericho that that we fight. David had Goliath. Elijah had Jezebel. The roadrunner had that wily coyote, right, that we talked about just a minute ago. So what stands in your way like a walled city that refuses to yield passage or, or get out of the way? We've all felt the twinge of anxiety that can come when you open the mailbox and there's that, that bill in there that you weren't quite expecting. We've all been told to sit down at some point because we're about to receive some shocking news as if somehow a sitting posture would help receiving that news in some way, shape, or form. We've had anxious thoughts consume our minds and chomp away at our strength. We know bullies that have lurked in the hallway, loud and unruly children, have sometimes zapped us of our confidence in parenting. Overbearing parents ask to see the report cards that we hope we would be able to keep hidden. Bosses demand more from us and more from us. We've all felt the challenge that Jericho brings. We've lost sleep. We've lost our nerve. We've lost all hope when we stare at that city. And for Joshua, Jericho literally stands between him and the promised land. Now, we learned three things from Joshua here. This is usually the part of the sermon where I start kind of listing out what we're going to talk about over the next half an hour. But I'm just going to do these really quick. From Joshua, we learn that we see our Jericho, that we must face our Jericho. But the thing that I really want to talk about today is the fact that we, like Joshua, don't have to face our Jericho alone. We return to the text. Let's just go ahead and kind of start over here. Going back to verse 13, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell to his face in the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Now, I want you to put yourself in Joshua's shoes for a second, which might be a little difficult because he just took them off, right? Uh, but, but really, I want you to think about what Joshua must be feeling in this moment. We, we've already identified Jericho as a place, really as an object of intimidation for Joshua. We've been able to identify with him as we've all had various Jerichos in our lives that we've had to deal with. And while dealing with the intensity and anxiety of staring down this Jericho, the real Jericho in his case, All of a sudden he looks up and he sees Russell Crowe from the movie Gladiator all oiled up, shield, sword, ready for battle. He's got to be thinking, who is this and what's going on, right? What would your first thought be? Would you be potentially afraid of this person who looks like he's ready to go massacre a village? Would you be intimidated by his buff physique? Would you wonder how he's able to make chain mail, which is so out of date, seems so chic and fashion forward? What would your thought be? It's hard to know what Joshua is thinking in this moment. He just knows that he's got to figure out what this guy is all about. So he just asks him directly, and the mysterious figure tells him that he is the commander of the army of the Lord, which, by the way, cool title, right, uh, of all the titles that you could possibly have. There are a number of times throughout the Hebrew scripture where God interacts with people. And in a move that I think is somewhat purposefully confusing, we can debate about that later if you want, Every time God interacts with people, it seems to be in a different fashion. When Sarah learns that she's going to be pregnant, God shows up in the form of three different visitors. Her grandson, Jacob, wrestles with God in the desert in Genesis 32. And Moses, as we talked about last week, encounters the angel of the Lord in the the, the burning bush, right? And so here is yet another completely different way, this this commander of the army of the Lord, who or what exactly is this mysterious figure? You may think it's an unimportant question, but whoever he is, whatever he is, he's a messenger from heaven, but I think it's actually really important that we figure out exactly who this person is. There's nothing in the text that would lead us to the conclusion that Joshua is in some sort of a vision or, or a trance. Uh, there's every reason to believe that the person standing before him is in fact a person Of some sort, he is a person of 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 flesh. Okay, now angels can take on the appearance of flesh. We see that a few times in the Bible, but I think that we can rule out that this is an angel because when Joshua falls to the ground on his face in worship, this figure does not stop him from doing that. And yet, in Revelation chapter 19, when John does the same thing, he falls on his face before an angel, and the angel tells him, "Hey, you better get up." And worship God alone. This guy doesn't do that. In fact, he seems to encourage further reverence from Joshua when he tells him to take off his sandals for the ground upon which he stands is holy. The last time we saw that was was last week when we talked about Moses and the angel of the Lord in the burning bush. And yet, in this story, there's no mention of the word angel anywhere. That leads me to conclude that the figure standing before Joshua is none other than God himself. In the flesh, not through an angel or a vision or or a spirit or anything like that, God incarnate stands before Joshua in the desert. I believe this is Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus existed from the beginning and that he was with God and that he was God. And so even though he wasn't born of a woman as a human being until Matthew chapter 2, many, many years later, the living Christ was active well before that event. He was with God in the beginning, says John chapter 1, verse 2. The next verse tells us that nothing was created except that it was created through him, which tells us that Jesus himself is quite active in the Hebrew scriptures. And perhaps you're still not convinced, and, and many people aren't, and that's okay, but I, they think maybe this is just a messenger of heaven. But again, the fact that he accepts worship from Joshua tells me that he's got to be something more. Coupled with this fact turn to isaiah chapter nine as you're turning there we're going to do a quick hebrew language lesson here the hebrew word that we translate commander is the word sar an unimpressive word by the look of it and it simply means commander or ruler or basically could be used depending on the context to describe any sort of person in charge it could be an elder it could be a king it could be the manager at your local mcdonald's whatever it just describes the person in charge It can also be translated prince, but it often isn't. In fact, usually in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, when we read the word prince, the word that we translate is the Hebrew word nasir, which describes an office of rule. The word sar is used only a handful of times in comparison to nasir, But one of the times that we find it is in Isaiah chapter 9. This might sound familiar to those of you who haven't taken your Christmas decorations down yet. And I know you're out there. Isaiah chapter 9, starting with verse 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. There will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince. Tsar of Peace. Folks, it is Jesus who stands before Joshua, the Prince of Peace, the Commander of the Army of the Lord. And here's why this is important. When Jericho stood between Joshua and his promised land, Jesus showed up and stood between Joshua and Jericho. I believe he'll do the same for us too. The Commander of the Army of the Lord stands ready with his troops to help God's people. He would do it for Joshua. I believe he'll do it for us too. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 tells us that angels are spirits sent to minister to God's people. For all we know, we've been helped by angels. Who who are we to say that that's never happened to us? In the Hebrew scriptures, we see angels holding shut the mouths of lions so that Daniel doesn't collect even a single scratch when he's down in the lion's den. We see them protecting Lot and his family from God's justice as it's being poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah. In the book of Revelation, we read that only one angel, it takes only one angel to bind Satan and throw him into the abyss one angel takes down satan these are the guys who are on our side the commander of the army of the lord stands between joshua and jericho and i believe he'll do it for us as well when the word sar again commander is coupled with the word for army the hebrew word sabah the the phrase takes on a very different meaning it literally means commander of the army as we have already discussed but when this phrase is applied specifically to the lord as is the case here in Joshua, the phrase takes on even more of a different meaning, which is that it places a particular emphasis on his intention and power to conquer and rule. What that means is that when Jesus shows up in the desert, he doesn't show up with all of his troops to fight, he shows up to win. That is the commander of the army of the Lord at work. That's exactly what he does. As chapter 6 begins, he gives Joshua some rather odd instructions. March around the city once a day for seven days, and on the seventh day, march around it seven times, and when you hear the blowing of the ram's horn, shout. And when you shout, the walls are going to break down, and you can go in. And, and to, that, that had to be peculiar to hear that, but you know what? They didn't question it. They just did what he said. They, they followed the instructions, and what happens? The walls come a-tumbling down, right? You know the song, don't you? Don't make me seem like I'm... <laughs> Jericho's reduced to rubble. It, it seemingly disappears in a cloud of dust. And as we've talked about, that cloud of dust it means several different things. It meant the end of a pagan city that stood opposed to God and his, and his plans progressing. It meant victory for God's people who didn't even have to fight to take the city. They just had to walk... And, and listen to God, they, they were able to walk right in, and it also marked the beginning of something new for God's people. No longer would they be exiled and nomadic and, and homeless, wandering around in the desert. From this point forward, they would tra- transition into their new home. Now, what does that mean for us here at Central? Where does that leave us here? You know, we've been talking about you know blowing the dust off and getting back to work and having that. Kingdom focus, finding victory in our lives. And I've stated that I believe that Jesus does what what he does for Joshua in this story. I believe he will do for us as well. He'll help us to knock down the Jerichos that stand in our way. But Jerichos, like clouds of dust, have a tendency to block our view and make it hard to see what God wants us to see. Jericho makes it hard to see how to follow him. So when Jericho is all we see, what do we do? We believe that Jesus wants to help us as he did Joshua, but how does he do it? What do we need to do? That brings us to our three challenges today. Challenge number one, to see through the cloud of dust, we must look to the heavens. The text tells us that Joshua, after coming near to Jericho, looked up and he saw the Lord. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens the earth. Help comes when we look up, specifically when we take the time to go to God in prayer and ask for his intervention. It may take time. It took Joshua and his friends seven days to wait on God. It may well take us longer to get an answer, but in any case, our help comes from the Lord, and we need to remember that he promises that he will hear our prayers for help as we deliver them. I promise that doesn't mean that things will happen overnight, but beginning the, dis- the, the discipline of prayer and seeking God for a solution starts as simply as looking up and crying out to Him. Challenge number two. <clears throat> to see through the cloud of dust, we must look to the center. And what exactly does that mean? After we cry out to Jesus, we keep Him in the center of what's going on between you and your Jericho by centering and focusing not on what concerns and 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 what bothers you, but rather on Jesus. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, they went to the center of the river. And it was only then that the Israelites were able to walk across on dry ground. The commander of the army of the Lord stood in the center between Jericho and and Joshua. As the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho, they had the Ark centered between them and the priests who who were carrying it. So keep him at the center of all you do. Keep your focus on him. He'll take care of Jericho. And finally, challenge number three is to look to the future. After having received instructions from the Lord, Joshua didn't question them, nor did his men. They may have raised an eyebrow at how odd it may have seemed, but they did exactly what they were to do. They started walking instead of fighting. That might sound strange, but in any case, it worked. They knew that when God gave a promise, it was as good as done. There's significance in the fact that they were told to blow specifically a ram's horn, what we call a shofar. You'd blow a trumpet if you were about to go into battle. But when you won a battle, you would blow the ram's horn. You'd blow the shofar to celebrate your victory. God told his people to blow the shofar before any sword had ever been drawn. You look at Jericho and you see a towering, threatening bully. Jesus looks at Jericho and he sees a cloud of dust. Don't focus on Jericho. Look up where your help comes from. Keep Christ at the center. Follow his instructions. Let's not fight for a good future. Let's trust him and walk right into it. Since our challenges today have to do with with prayer and appealing to and relying on God for his help, it's fitting then that as we come to our fourth pledge, it's a a a pledge that's focused on prayer. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, or if you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, back a couple years ago, we were we were looking at getting ourselves organized a little bit. We were looking at six church member pledges that we have kind of rededicated ourselves to. We're, we're reviewing these today, and in a, in a service to come, we're going to actually formally adopt these, these pledges. Uh, for now, we're just reviewing them so that we know what we're getting ourselves into. The fourth church member pledge is this. I pledge to pray always and often, I understand that the work of the church is never-ending, and in order to accomplish it, we'll need the help of our Lord. I understand that we are locked in a spiritual battle, and that there will be good days and bad days. We'll experience highs and lows. Because we cannot win this battle on our own power, I will pledge, alongside the members of this church, to pray for wisdom and strength daily. So that's the fourth pledge that, again, today we're just reviewing. We'll we'll be formally adopting it at another, uh, another date to be announced in the future. Uh, but that kind of takes us to the end of, of our time here. I want to throw out there, as we always do, that if anything we said today made you realize that you're ready to take your next step, you're ready to trust Him with your life as well as the directions for your life, we would encourage you to come forward today. We'll get you baptized today. If you're thinking about it, if you need some more time, if you have some more specific questions that you want to have answered or, or, or just talk about it a little bit. Or for that matter, if there's anything that we talked about today that you want to learn a little more about or or ask some questions about, feel free to get a hold of me through the week. All my information's in the bulletin. I I would love to sit down with you and talk to you about what it means to connect with Jesus. Until then, let's pray together. If you'll pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of our time together this morning, my prayer, Lord, is that uh, you will continue through your word to convict us, to challenge us, to, uh, Father, to get us to the point where we understand that no matter how qualified or or good at this that we might be, that ultimately success in following you comes not from our own strength, but with how willing we are to trust what you say and and to do what you command. Father, help us to to carry those two thoughts with us in this week, and I pray, Father, for those who have not yet made that decision to trust you with everything. I pray that today gets them a little closer to that, if not all the way there. Lord, my prayer is that you will move in on us, convict us, challenge us, change us. And Father, know that we love you. We pray in Jesus through faith.